Hello and welcome to Renegade Paradise, the official podcast of the Charleston, South Carolina chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America. We're an intersectional activist organization working to build a society and economy run by the working class, a society that democratically meets the needs of the many rather than creating profits for the few. Renegade Paradise is a news, commentary, and educational platform based on socialist analysis from activists here on the ground in the low country. By sharing a socialist perspective and by lifting up the voices of our allies and comrades, we hope to create a space for folks in this part of the country looking to deepen their understanding of leftist politics, but who might not know exactly where to start. (laughs) Members of the Charleston Democratic Socialists of America come from a broad, diverse set of backgrounds and tendencies within the spectrum of the working-class left. What unites us is one common goal, to build a different world, a better world. I'm CJ Bones, and tonight we're going to talk about the elephant in the room, the COVID-19 global pandemic. No doubt most of you have already uh, probably have some idea of what to do to protect yourself by now, and have probably taken some steps uh, to ride this thing out. And we're kind of doing the same here at Renegade Paradise. I'm safe and sound in my bedroom recording this episode through a trusty old laptop microphone rather than the usual studio we use for recording. Uh, So the sound's going to be a little rough at times, uh, just so bear with us, okay? I feel like it's important that we as socialists try to put this historic moment into context. Most of us had never seen this kind of pandemic before and and really have no experience on how to handle this sort of thing. Uh, some of us here in the Low Country have some idea of what it's like to have our lives and, and jobs disrupted by uh, natural events beyond our control, uh, like hurricane evacuations, for example, but uh, this is different. I also think it's worth mentioning that the capitalist media has not been paying a lot of attention to how this pandemic affects the lives of uh, working people. They definitely aren't going to talk about things like, say, for example, how um, COVID-19 is exposing the contradictions of capitalism in general, or uh, the really the drastic measures needed to protect the working class at this time of, of crisis. So our intention tonight is to shine a little bit more light on how this is a moment for workers to unite and win, and uh, to also discuss some strategies on how that might be possible. And to that end, I have invited a couple of members of DSA to join with me tonight, both of whom have experience here in the healthcare industry. So the first person you're going to hear is Alyssa, who is a uh, a comrade from the Akron, Ohio chapter of the DSA, Uh, also works in long-term care facilities. And then we also have Sarah, who you have probably heard on the podcast before. Sarah is a pharmacy technician, so she brings a slightly different type of experience than Alyssa does, but ultimately I think we're going to have a really good discussion from kind of uh, two different sides of the American healthcare system, and uh, we'll get some real kind of on-the-ground experience as to why this all matters and how this fits into a socialist framework. So uh, from here on in, the rest of the episode is going to be a phone call, so the audio is not great, but uh, I think there's going to be some really good discussions to be had. So sit back, relax, and crack open the beverage of your choice and enjoy. I think the whole healthcare industry has been greatly um, impacted by what's going on. As far as how my uh, personal job has been, so um, it's been pretty chaotic. Uh, we've had a lot of new regulations that have come in uh, the past two weeks. And for a while there, it seemed like they were changing hour to hour. Um, you know, we, we definitely want to make sure we have all of the resources that we need to take care of our residents at the nursing home. And that includes making sure we have staff that are healthy and, um, you know, that we're paying attention to them and not, you know, burning people out. Um, but I think that so far we're, we're managing. I know that this is the beginning of it, um, at least for us in Ohio. But I think so far we're doing okay. Um, and, you know, it's, it's definitely not something that I thought I would be dealing with um, in my long-term care career, that's for sure. Sounds like y'all are off to a good start. Uh, Sarah, do you want to maybe chip in also, like talk a little bit about your experience, what you're dealing with in your day-to-day? Yeah, so I've been in um, various 
pharmacy-related jobs since I was 18, really. Um, currently, I work in pharmacy supply chain. What we're dealing with a lot is medication shortages. Um, everyone's trying to stock up, including us. I would say varied reactions in the healthcare fields amongst the professionals I know. Definitely taking it more seriously than I think the government here is so far. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, screening at entry and exit, all kinds of trying to anticipate what's next. And I think Italy is considered the model for that right now. Okay. Um, so, Sarah, you had mentioned that uh, you had talked a little bit about supply shortages, and, and I kind of wanted to uh, expand on that topic a little bit. So there's been a lot of shortage of uh, personal protection equipment, like if I remember right, in the, um, N95 masks are, are hard to come by lately. Yeah. Um, is, is there any other um, items you find in, in high demand? And is this maybe why, you know, is this maybe because everybody's trying to, like, prepare for this thing all at once? Is there maybe a better strategy to approach this? PP is a, a big deal, partly because of just panic buying, as an average consumer would see with, say, toilet paper. Paper towels, um, yeah. hand sanitizer. Um, N95 masks are in pretty high demand, and they're not really necessary for the average person. But um, they're obviously crucial to healthcare workers that are encountering persons under investigation or people with confirmed COVID-19. And we've had problems of having to actually move our supplies of masks and gloves and gowns and face shields under CCTV because they disappear from hospitals and warehouses. And then I'm sorry, can you can you repeat that? What did you have to move them under? Um under CCTV, places with camera surveillance. Uh, I mean, okay. you know, okay. before this crisis, they're just another medical supply and nobody really cared that much. Um okay. but now people are stockpiling and stealing and so you're having they to, like, lock them down, basically. Right. Oh, wow. um, and then any wow. kind of antiviral uh, or biologic agent that's considered to have or suspected to have activity against COVID-19, most of those are short. Alyssa, do you have any sort of thoughts on, on this part of the discussion, like the shortage of supplies? Uh, you're see are you seeing uh, the same thing? Yeah, um, we're kind of having the same situation. So um, I, one of the jobs that I do at our facility is I'm our infection preventionist. And typically it's not really a big deal. We have our isolation carts, we have our supplies, and we really don't have to think about, you know, conserving them um, nearly as much as we have recently. But um, we did have to um, kind of just take account of everything we have. We did have to lock up our excess supply, um, and that includes things um, not even just the PPE, but even stuff like Tylenol, because if we have patients that have fever, that's, we're going to treat it with Tylenol. So, um, But the stores are running short on things like that, too. Um, and we today, we did put in a request uh, to the state health department and our local health department to get on the list for um, the surplus that was just distributed to the state of Ohio. So, you know, I hope that we're going to have enough of what we need to take care of people. I, I recognize that, you know, there are a lot of people that are in the same position and there are going to be, you know, hospitals that are going to have more acute patients than we have. But just making sure that we have all the things that we need to keep people safe is not something that we typically would think about on a day-to-day -day basis, but now we're having to think about every day. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, you know, one of the problems that uh, I'm seeing is that a lot of folks, you know, that work in, in care facilities, a lot of folks that work in hospitals, uh, you know, just anybody, anytime somebody's dealing with a lot of members of the public right now, they are at that risk for infection. This is especially critical, um, you know, amongst healthcare workers because the more uh, healthcare prof uh, professionals get infected, um, that just causes this ripple effect uh, down the line. And now definitely is the time uh, to really understand and appreciate how hard folks that work in, in healthcare environments, how, how hard they work in 
and how they put their bodies on the line every day uh, to make sure that uh, the rest of us stay on our feet. You know, we all are heroes, I think. I don't think that's too much of an exaggeration to say. So thank you for uh, all, all that you do. Thank you and, for your um, words. Yeah. You know, we got to we gotta support each other. We got to stick together, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so let's bring Congress into the discussion a little bit. Um, so members of Congress have been talking about providing federal funding for free coronavirus testing and uh, paid emergency leave. And if I remember right, Mitt fucking Romney, of all people, even proposed a $1,000 one-time payment to get through to get uh, uh, people through this initial quarantine time period, um, not unlike what we saw during the uh, recession. So uh, what are y'all's thoughts on this? Is this too modest? Uh, is there things that are not being addressed? What's your immediate feedback on this plan? Um, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll, give some of my thoughts on it, I guess. Um, I think that when I was looking at the bill, because I think it, it just passed the Senate today, um, and uh, I was diving into some of the specifics about it, and, you know, like any legislation, it's not, at the end, anything like it was when it started. Um, it's it's just not adequate. Uh, the The paid leave only applying to a small portion of workers Really right. I think like to... what twenty percent of uh, I think it's like twenty percent of the working population. Yeah, yeah. It's really not going to help many people, and it's especially not going to help those that are the most vulnerable. Um, you know, people that are working at Walmart or you know some of these other big corporations, McDonald's and stuff, that don't have a lot of resources to begin with, and then now have to think about should I go to work sick because you know people are panic buying all the toilet paper at Walmart. Um, and I might not have a job if I don't go in, or, you know, should I potentially risk my safety and other people's safety and have to go to work? Um, you know, I just think that it's, it's not adequate. Um, I saw a quote right before I got on the phone that, uh, Mitch McConnell basically told, uh, the Senate Republicans just, uh, you know, gag and, and, um, vote for it. Like, right. they, you know, were disgusted by the fact that, you know, people need help and the government's trying to do what it's supposed to do. Um, I thought that was kind of ridiculous. It's very but, revealing, you know, isn't it? Like, yeah. So I yeah. pulled up the actual um, – while you all were kind of talking, I pulled up the a summary of the bill just so I have a, a common frame of reference with it. Um, according to uh, thehill.com, it looks like it provides up to 10 days of paid sick leave for some workers – um, but, um, you know, you and I were talking earlier about how it, it only helps a certain amount of workers, and it specifically caps that at companies with uh, over 500 employees and would allow those uh, businesses with under 50 employees to apply for a waiver. Um, so that's, mm -hmm. that's not great because, you know, you got this party that's been saying for years, you know, how important small businesses are, like, well, Fuck! If your employees are coming in sick and there's not a, a pool of workers that can like sub out for them, you know you're you're in a disaster. <laughs> I just it seems exactly. extremely arbitrary at that point. But see that I think what I hope this makes people realize is the uh, economy is um, it's nonsense. It's based on nothing. It's uh, most of this stuff could stop tomorrow and you would not notice. Um, and that we as workers have a lot more power than we think we do. And, we really uh, do. Well, Absolutely. A thousand or two thousand dollars is it's better than nothing, but that doesn't address rent. It doesn't address health care. It doesn't address um you know, all of these other issues that that contribute to the sort of situation we now find ourselves in, where the market is totally incapable of addressing this sort of pandemic. I think if I remember right, um Bernie Sanders recommended uh that we passed something much larger. Okay, yeah, here I got it. Uh, so Bernie Sanders had recommended that uh, Congress pass a much larger uh, aid package of providing at least $2,000 per month per household. So this sounds to me uh, not, still not great, but more realistic um, because to me this assumes that 
the pandemic is probably going to stick around longer. So, so this is an ongoing support system that Sanders is proposing. What are y'all's thoughts on that? Is, is this something that you think that uh, certain members of Congress are prepared to like lock in for, or, or is there much movement beyond this thousand dollar one time proposal? Um, I think that it's, you know, definitely more realistic as far as addressing that this is not going to be something that's over in a couple of weeks. Uh, I think I've been hearing that from a lot of people. Oh, well, in a couple of weeks, in a couple of weeks. This is not going to be done in a couple of weeks. The head of the Ohio Department of Health said our peak in Ohio is going to be late April, early May. And, you know, that's getting a one-time payment isn't going to pay the bills for April and May, and if it even goes longer. So I think, you know, having a longer-term solution is, is definitely, a, you know, a much better step. Um, I think that my concern about what, you know, is going to come from the other side, and I've kind of seen some of this stuff floating around already, is the tried and true myth of, you know, if you give UBI raises, uh, you know, the cost of living and all the price of everything is going to go up if you give people any sort of assistance and, you know, or if you, which is not factual at all. Um, the other thing I'm concerned about, and I have thankfully been hearing some members of Congress saying uh, that they are really being very explicit that this is not the time for means tests. Um, you know, we shouldn't be, well, do these people deserve help and do these people deserve help? No, that's the, this is not the time for that. This is going to affect everybody to varying degrees, certainly, but it is going to affect everyone. Yeah, and like, like the, the virus doesn't give a shit how much money you make. Um, you exactly. Know, this needs to be an all hands on deck emergency. And that's, that's what's really scary to rich people is they can't buy their way out of it. You actually have to take care of a few poor people at least. <laughs> Well said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's kind of continue riffing on that for a bit. Um, so DSA uh, National has also released a uh, list of demands. Um, and among that list of demands, passing Medicare for all would be at the top of that list. But, um, you know, former Vice President Joe Biden said that during the debate, uh, on the 15th, that a national health care plan would not be helpful uh, because it didn't slow the outbreak in countries like Italy. And I don't think that's true. I don't really know a ton about how the outbreak looks in Italy, but I think we're too early in the pandemic to see how it's going to affect us in the United States. But I think we can all probably do a little math in our head when you combine a much larger population with a, a no real safety net like virtually every country in Europe has, this is a, a, a bomb that's going to go off. Uh, what do you all think about that response that seems to be brewing amongst centrists, and, and how is the best way to push back against that? I think that's like a deliberate conflation of who pays for it with public health care. And um, the difference to me is we are doing everything Italy is doing, but we're doing it slower and more incompetently. And also, at the end of it, we as individuals have to pay for it. Um, you know, people are trying to get coronavirus tests and coming out with $2,000 bills. The real model is South Korea or, you know, China or I believe Hong Kong and Singapore even had very good responses, although I'm not as familiar with those. But what should I think be terrifying is is what South Korea found where they effectively tested everyone, just mass testing, what they found was there's basically tons and tons of 20 to 40-year-old people who are positive for the virus, but either asymptomatic or subclinical, but are still contagious and can then further spread the virus without being even aware that they're sick. And a system like the United States is never going to deal with that effectively. Right. So Yeah, I don't see the United States building two new hospitals in a week. Um, China was able to do that in Wuhan uh, very effectively. Uh, so the amount of foot dragging is just fucking ominous right now. We're um, considered to be, what, like two weeks behind Italy. So to say we're not worse, I think, is premature. I was just going to add to what, what both of y'all were saying. I mean, I think that what... Former Vice President Biden was saying is just, you know, 
trying to deflect from the actual issue itself. The, the reason that Italy is having the type of issues they're having is because they didn't react appropriately. It's not because of their type of healthcare infrastructure. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with whatever's going to happen here because we're never, especially because of how limited we're testing, we're never going to know the true impact of this. You know, that denominator is never going to be right if we're not testing people just to find out how is this actually spreading. We're never going to know how truly contagious it is. And, you know, we're, we're only looking at the most severely sick people. So it's always going to be skewed data. And, you know, I don't think that any healthcare infrastructure is 100% always ready for a pandemic because that's not oh, how it's yeah, set up. We're not expecting not. pandemics every day. But our system isn't ready for, you know, a normal Thursday. So yeah. I don't yeah. – we're the, the reaction is going to be um, – I, you know, I, I don't want to speculate, obviously, but I just think that it's it's really going to inundate um, our system even more than it's already taxed, and it's it, it's just it's really frustrating to see um, that some countries are having much better reactions, and we're, you know, behind the behind the. You know, you know, we're we're really just behind the curve on what we're supposed to be doing, and I think that in the coming weeks it's going to become even more evident that you know not only are we not reacting appropriately on a national level and some of these individual states that are doing I I don't know what, um, but you know it's we we weren't set up for you know normal healthcare preventative care or a reaction to anything like this, and this is going to kind of shed light on how messed up our healthcare system truly is. Kind of to your point, like we're never going to have a full and accurate account of how many people were infected and how many people died because just nobody's keeping track of it. Uh, Trump fired the pandemic response team in 2018. So there's just no, like nobody's writing anything down basically. And if there's no data that suggests good, bad, or otherwise, they can basically make up whatever the fuck they want at this point. And I don't know, man, I'm, it, it does really feel like we're all kind of all on our own. Yeah, there's no cause to be hysterical about it, but the big hit is yet to come. We're, we're not going to be able to organize effectively if we're just constantly terrified, falling for whatever rumor is out there. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a lot to wrestle with right now. This is a uh, kind of a sidebar conversation, but to, for anybody who ends up listening to this, um, you know, take care of yourself, take care of your mental health, and, and just take everything one day at a time. I think we'll get through this. I mean, we have to. Um, but uh, let's talk a little bit about more of these sort of concrete proposals that DSA is getting behind before we get too deep into the woods on that front. Um, DSA has also talked about uh, proposing – uh, emergency moratoriums on evictions, on utility shutoffs, deportations, and cash bail. And this is exciting because I don't think that a lot of folks in the mainstream media immediately associate these material conditions as part of the health of the working class. And this is something that we really need to be pushing. Uh, what else could DSA do on this front? Uh, what do you all think? One of the things that our local chapter is, is very concerned about. And, um, you know, I know that folks around the country are also concerned about um, is taking care of our um, most vulnerable people. And we have a huge issue right now in Akron uh, with our houselessness, pop uh, our houseless population. And, you know, these folks are at a much bigger risk for having an adverse health outcome during this pandemic, you know, they don't have access a lot of times even to open water to be able to do the basic infection control measures that we're all, you know, doing. And they tend to have a lot more chronic health issues that are not being managed. Um, and, you know, so that's something that we've been doing that um, I have heard a little bit about um, from, you know, the state and 
other organizations bringing that up, but I guess that was the one thing that my chapter was really concerned about and kind of wanted to um, highlight. And I know that, you know, everyone's concerned about it and you can't have everything all at once, but that was definitely, um, that particular population was, was a huge concern for us. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's um, that's going to be the question we're going to get to after this one. Sarah, do you have any thoughts on this uh, as far as, like, these emergency moratoriums? No, I think all of that stuff is very important in addition to any kind of cash payouts that come from the federal government, you know, eventually. Um, you know, if you're really unlucky, you'll get the Democratic proposal, which is a tax credit that you'll get in, you know, May 2021. But, um, yeah, I think being involved in sort of mutual aid societies, inter-organizational cooperation, um, things like that are going to be very important because there are going to be so many more people than already need just simple things like a free pot meal that are going to need that even more now. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on to the next question. Um, actually, before we get into that, one more thing regarding DSA Nationals' uh, list of demands here. Um, so I think we all know that climate change is probably going to contribute to future pandemics uh, as, as the polar ice caps start to melt um, and, and the sea temperatures rise. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say these, these are going to create a lot of global climate pattern changes and subsequently uh, a lot of differing conditions on the ground that are that are going to lead to more, you know, diseases that spread. How do you all think that the Green New Deal uh, is going to address uh, this threat? Climate change definitely is, is going to, um, you know, exacerbate pandemics and and we're going to see them with increased frequency i mean sadly i'm i'm 28 and sadly i don't think this is going to be the first one that i'm going to see in my lifetime um uh, definitely not yeah so and i know we we've, we've dealt with you know some other outbreaks and stuff that were not necessarily on this big of a uh, scale but um an exacerbation of chronic health issues that are going to make it so that a lot of people are going to have even worse outcomes. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, like, people who live in, you know, places that don't have good air quality, they have a higher risk of having asthma. And with a respiratory virus, obviously, um, if you have a chronic lung issue, you're going to have a worse outcome when you get that respiratory virus than a otherwise healthy person would. Um, and, you know, I think that the, the Green New Deal has a solution for, for those problems, and it can mitigate some of these things. Obviously, we can't, you know, go back 30 years and turn the car off like we should have, but, um, you know, we <laughs> want to um, take what we, you know, at least take advantage of the fact that right now we can still try to fix some of these things. We can still try to, you know, improve people's health going forward, uh, but I, you know, if we if we ignore it, we're, we're going to see more things like this and even worse. Um, you know, people that are going to be displaced by disasters and then all of the stuff on top of it. So it's, it's kind of almost overwhelming to think about um, climate change meeting public health crises, but I think climate change is a public health crisis itself. And right. that, you know, the Green New Deal is our absolute best chance that we have of trying to meet that head on and address it. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I feel like um, a lot of folks kind of treat uh, climate change as its own unique silo, basically. Um, but I think as we get into the years ahead, um, we're going to see that it's not as theoretical and as abstract uh, and as macro level as we think it might be. Like, this is going to be something that affects folks in a very real, very personal way on the ground. So I think it is important to us on the left to, to work to pass a Green New Deal and, and to do anything we can to not only limit the damage that capitalism is doing to our environment, but do it quickly. We have a limited window in which we can accomplish this before we start seeing permanent catastrophic damage happening to the environment. So, Alyssa, talk a little bit more about Akron DSA's uh, list of demands, and I got them pulled up in my monitor here. Uh, so it sounds like you all put uh, 
houseless folks pretty far up the list as, as, as far as priorities go. Um, and I think you gave some really great reasons why. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of your other demands, uh, how they might differ or support uh, some of the demands coming in from national, maybe talk about how they're a little bit more like street level versus these massive systems that we need to deal with. Yeah, um, and I think that our our list of demands is, you know, definitely mirrors a lot of the things that are uh, being asked at, at the national level. Like I said before, the houselessness was really a thing that has been um, a growing issue here in the Akron area. Um, we had a situation not that long ago where um, a gentleman had um, basically on his property allowed people to camp and stay that people that either couldn't stay in shelters or didn't want to for what you know whatever reasons um so they had a village and everything was working fine the city decided it wasn't though um and all of those people got evicted you know it it's it's really frustrating to see that the city cared more about appearances than individual people's you know, lives and well-being and them being able to have access to shelter and food. Um, yeah. So that was kind of why we had that specific thing really high up on the list. Um, the other thing that I know has been a demand at National as well, and actually just saw um, a notification come across my phone with immigration. Um, you know, I, I just saw this notification come that uh, said that ICE is actually going to stop making arrests now. So, I mean, that's a huge, huge thing. Um, right. They said that, and I think that we have um, a growing immigrant population here in Akron. Um, we have a lot of refugees, and so that was another reason why we included that on the list as well. And just making sure that people have access to food. Like one of our members um, is, she works at the for the school system in the cafeteria, and so she's been passing out meals to children. Um, everybody's still getting their breakfast and their lunch, but, you know, making sure that that is sustained for months because it's going to take a while. And, you know, we can't cut that off in the summer um, just because school yeah, is definitely out. definitely not. Yeah, so we've, we've seen some positive things from some of the um, utility groups around here, not doing shutoffs um, and actually restoring service to customers who had had their utilities shut off before, but, you know, we really just wanted to make sure that we were kind of targeting those specific Akron needs and really demanding that our uh, city government step up and take care of all of the people here. Because right now, I think the last thing that we heard from the mayor was on Saturday, he reminded everybody that it was Pi Day and go out to small support your small businesses. That was pretty much it. So um, huh. we've been pretty disappointed um, in the city's response uh, in that regard, and our state response has been certainly better, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of people that are not being included in some of these policies. We wanted to make sure that our list of demands was addressing those things. Yeah, and um, among those demands, I wanted to talk about uh, some of the functions y'all highlighted on the uh, Akron Municipal Court. Uh, so it seems like they've been winding down and, and in some cases suspending some uh, functions. And I guess there's been some uh, provisions passed that makes it easier not have to show up to court to do everything you need to do. Um, but they, they still want people to come to court to file eviction paperwork. Is that correct uh, as of uh, March 18th today? As far as I know, yeah, that's that's the last that I saw. I know that they were talking about doing some of the stuff virtually, but um, – and there was some discussion of they were going to stop doing uh, some court proceedings through the end of March. But, I mean, as, as we've, you know, laid out as a theme throughout this whole show, end of March is not going to be when this is over. Um, so, you know, we really wanted to make sure we were putting um, not only stopping evictions and foreclosures, but also um, freezing mortgage payments and rent because just because, you know, someone is not getting evicted um, doesn't necessarily mean that they are able to use the money that they have if they, you know, whatever they have, if they're out of work especially, 
um, to go towards those kinds of things. You know, people need to make sure that they have food, and the decision shouldn't be between do I pay my rent or do I buy food or do I buy medicine, which is unfortunately something that people experience on a daily basis, but, you know, it's it's much, yeah. much worse right now. Yeah. Like, like you know, regardless of whether or not there's a uh, pandemic, like, folks still got to make that decision all the time. But, you know, this is right. definitely making it worse. Um, I know here in South Carolina, uh, Chief Justice uh, Don Vitti has uh, halted all eviction statewide as of Tuesday, I think, yesterday, um, in response to, uh, you know, the pandemic. So apparently this is set to go until May 1st, except in cases that involve uh, essential services and or harm to person or property. I mean, that seems seems a little vague to me, but I'm no lawyer. So let's zoom out one more time and uh, get the obvious question out of the way. So we've been talking a lot about, like, the, you know, these programs that are going to, that that are being thrown around to provide uh, various degrees of relief for the working class in this situation. Some of them are a lot more comprehensive than others. What we keep hearing from the right and their centrist enablers over and over again is how are these things going to be paid for? And uh, let's talk a little bit about that and how that differs from the recent $1.5 trillion that was uh, injected into short-term money markets a few days ago. What are y'all's thoughts on that? It seems like affordability is um, very subjective to who benefits from the expenditure. Um, you know, we spent $1.5 trillion on a, what, one-day stock bump? Um, right. I think what I wish it was a full people, day. I think it lasted only 20 minutes, right? <laughs> right. But um, hopefully what people come to realize through this is um, how much worse it is to not take care of people because these situations develop and then – sick people can't reliably get healthcare or get tested or make any of the right decisions without considering that if they do that, they may end up homeless or in just unspeakable debt. Hopefully that reframes it a bit for those people, but um, I have only moderate confidence in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you, you, I think you're spot on though. Um, I think this has taught us that if you, um, or, or I hope it will teach us, if you just throw money at the stock market and hope things stabilize, it doesn't fucking happen because all of the things that are causing all this, all the things that are causing this instability in the market are still there. Like these critical um, health infrastructure needs aren't being addressed. If you pass a comprehensive uh, aid package for folks here on the ground, like they are obviously, they can afford to stay home from work. They can afford to work from home. They, they can they can afford to do the things that they need to do to take care of themselves. They can afford to go to the doctor, or, or in some cases, it's a pretty one to one benefit at that point versus this sort of abstract throw money at it and maybe the stock market will like it. Uh, that's kind of what I'm taking up. Um, I'm sure there's a lot more uh, insightful and nuanced takes out there, but from where I'm sitting, it's just like, what do we do? Do we do we give money to people that actually will use it, or do we just sort of set a bunch of money on fire and just hope it works. You know, it seems like witchcraft at that point. Yeah, I mean, even apples for apples, I think, and don't quote me on the math, but I think between the two cash infusions to the market, you could have cut a check for every, you know, adult and child in the country to receive, like, about $9,000, I think. Um, That would stimulate the fucking economy a lot more. Yeah, like that $1.5 trillion, um, and I think this has been making the rounds as well, it would have wiped out every damn dime of student debt in the entire country. Let me tell you, that'll that'll get plenty of people <laughs> spending their money on things that they actually need, especially in the middle of this thing. It, it, it's really a no-brainer at this point. Um, Alyssa, what do you think? I, I feel like Sarah and I have been kind of riffing on this. Um, any any thoughts? I mean, I think that, you know, both of you had, had fantastic points about it, honestly. And I think that what it's, it's re- this is really highlighting is that you know the system that we have and i think for for you know us we've we've known this but there's some people that are now coming to the realization that this is a huge problem um and not just in a pandemic but long term that this system is not working for you know the people that are filling your prescription at the pharmacy or taking care of your grandmother at the nursing home or 
you know, stocking shelves at, at Walmart. Like, it's not taking care of any of those people. It's not doing anything for any of those people. One of the things when I was watching the debate the other day that was so frustrating to me was that, yeah, we need solutions right now, but we can't say, oh, well, we're just going to have these short-term solutions that are going to stabilize the economy so it doesn't crash, but also at the end of the day, when this thing's over, you know, everybody else is even more fucked than they were when it started. You know, you can't ignore the fact that the overwhelming inequality that we've had for a long time is kind of just now really being revealed for a lot of people. I know I was talking to my mom, um, who is on the fence about a lot of things, but she's coming around and, uh, you know, starting to examine some things a little bit more. And, you know, with, you, you mentioned student loans, like, I mean, I, I don't even want to think about my student loans right now, but I was talking to her about how essentially when that, when I'm done with grad school and that payment's coming due, it's like a second mortgage payment for me. And, you know, I can't even think about how much better my, my life would be, how much purchasing power I would actually have in the economy if I didn't have that second mortgage payment. So, to me, you know, thinking about, you know, let's just do these quick injections that are going to fix the, the economy and it's going to stabilize the stock market and bringing out CEOs at a press conference to talk about how public, you know, or uh, private business is going to save all of uh, us. I mean, that's, it's, it's not, it, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. When I see that kind of stuff, I'm like, well, I guess we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. Um yeah. You know, I've, I've, we, like, we, we already did this bit. We already did the <laughs> fix the stock market real fast and hope everything works out bit. That's not exactly. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I think that unfortunately, after having gone through this multiple times now in our lives, um, people are realizing this, the system doesn't work for us and we need to make it so that it does. Well said. So I think we were starting to touch on a little bit of the uh, contradictions of capitalism. The capital, the same capitalists that caused the financial crisis back in uh, 2008 uh, with their banking and stock market speculation, um, without fail, they always get rescued. And they got rescued um, back during that time period. But we here on the ground, we suffer the real consequences of it, and ain't nobody coming to save us. So what does it say about this economic system that just constantly has to be shepherded and protected and rescued uh, by the federal government, uh, you know, that, the same types of people that scream socialism every time you try to pass this sort of half-assed uh, attempt at, you know, re- uh, mending giant holes in the safety net? Like, what are y'all's thoughts on, on that uh, contradiction that we're seeing? The, the wool is no longer over some people's eyes, and they're starting to realize that uh, the system, I mean, quite frankly, it sucks. Um, there's really no other way to put it. It sucks. And it's, when I look at, at other countries and, and how their model is so very different, and, you know, not even just their economic model, but just the way that people think about each other and think about, you know, society and our role in society, this whole survival of the fittest and climb over everybody to make sure you get your hand sanitizer or whatever the heck we're doing right now, um, it's, it's, it's not helping a majority of the people. And it's just a really revealing moment, I think, for a lot of people that the system is, is falling apart. It's not, not only does it not work in, you know, better times, but it certainly does not work um, in the middle of a pandemic. And, you know, I, I, when I was on my way home from work today, uh, I heard on the radio, uh, Boeing asked for a $60 billion bailout. And it's like, you know, if, if you were saying, hey, we need money to make sure that our people, when they're not working, are getting paid and they're being taken care of and all of those things, okay, I could, you know, if you're going to use it for that kind of stuff, Maybe we could talk about that, but if but I know what's going to happen. It's going to turn back to the shareholders and calm them down, and then they're going to you know do stock buybacks and all the same stuff that they do every single time to make sure exactly. that they're you know the the rich people aren't losing money. And at the same time, they're going to turn around and lay people off, 
And then when all of the rest of us have nothing left to spend on anything, like, you know, it's not going to bounce back and it's just going to continue to be worse for working class people. And, you know, I, I worry about, I don't worry about like, you know, my, my 401k. I don't, I'm not worrying about that right now. I'm worrying about what happens if my fiance, you know, his employer closes their store. He works uh, in wireless retail. If his store is going to close, I'm sure, because they're starting to close non-essential business. But what happens if his employer's like, oh, well, here's 10 days of pay, but he's off for two months. Right. You know, my, 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 my 401k doesn't really matter. My student, you know, deferring my student loan interest doesn't matter right now. And, you know, when I'm trying to figure out how am I going to pay my water bill, um, or put gas in my car so I can continue to go to work and take care of people. Right. It's just, you know, the, the system that is, I, I kind of joke, it's failing, but at the same time, it's, it seems like it's, it was never meant to work for us in the first place. So is it really failing or is it working for the people it's supposed to work for anyhow? Yeah. All, all I can think of is, uh, that song by a punk band called House Rotten called The System Works For Them. You know, it, it really does. It doesn't work for folks like you and I. You can look at, you know, who's who's being laid off, who's being, you know, who's actually keeping civilization basically running. I'm not trying to be too alarmist, but who's, who's keeping, like, the day-to-day activities critical for life happening right now. It's folks like y'all. Like, it's folks like healthcare workers. It's folks like, like doctors and, and uh, goddamn delivery drivers right now, <laughs> teachers and folks here on the ground that do the actual work that needs to be done. It's not fucking bankers. It's not fucking Wall Street traders or fucking hedge fund managers. If things don't change massively, if we don't do things that make things change massively, like they're going to get away with this shit again. And the consequences, they're more dire than they were last time we were in this predicament. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot to, it's a lot to grapple with. That's kind of one of the reasons why, uh, you know, I appreciate folks like y'all coming onto this podcast. These are the kind of conversations that I like having. You know, we may not have a ton in common, but we all have one thing that we can all agree on, and, and it's that if we go too long without a paycheck, we are fucked. Um, the dudes that run shit from Wall Street and Washington, they don't give a fuck. <laughs> they, got more, they got more money than God. They, they don't care about us. They don't care about the planet. Uh, they just want theirs, and they want to go home. Sarah, what about you? I, I think we, uh, I think Alyssa and I riffed on this a bit. Um, do you have any thoughts about, you know, kind of big picture uh, contradictions of capitalism in, in this period we're in right now? I think it has very effectively demonstrated this sort of liberal, you know, in the broader, you know, lowercase l sense that includes Democrats and Republicans. This kind of obsession with technocratic policy and the sort of nudging people to make the right decisions through economic incentives. Um, the economic incentives actually don't like work and aren't important. You can't economically incentivize people to do the correct thing in the interest of public health or the interest of com- uh, climate change because for most of us, the economic incentives don't align with that if, you know, we can really take advantage of them at all. And they, our bosses certainly don't align with that. You know, I think as um, Alyssa said, the retail, you know, sort of non-grocery retail space right now, um, that's sort of a luxury, but, you know, the people that work in it are all underpaid, and the people that manage the retail outlets are not, you know, they're not paid to close down and not take money, and they can't afford to pay you, especially if they're locally owned, to pay you to not work. So where does the incentive come in to stop, you know, 200 people a night from going through a restaurant and potentially getting infected? There, there doesn't exist one, right. and, you know, I think, contra Mrs. Thatcher, we do actually live in a society, and I hope people realize that now. Yeah. I would hope that this situation puts, like, that, you know, that Thatcherism line of we don't live in a society, we are just made up of atomized individuals. I hope that puts it to rest for fucking ever, but I, I don't have a lot of hope on that front because – Boy, does it sound like we make the same mistakes over and over again. Let's lighten the mood a little bit. Um, we've been talking a lot about how much this sucks. I want to 
maybe end it on a, on a strong note, like how we can help each other. Um, so let's talk about mutual aid in the context of disaster response. What do you all think DSA's role is, should be in this? And are there some resources out there that our listeners should pay attention to when it comes to helping out in their own communities? I know, um, you know, before this episode, I did a little quick research. I know that uh, Metro Atlanta DSAs uh, already started a uh, survey so they can they can target and provide mutual aid in a, in a more effective manner. I know that uh, Mutual Aid Disaster Relief based out of North Carolina is, is setting up a supply distro and uh, disaster fund. Um, or is there anything else that you all think we should be looking out for or, or models that you have seen? Um, something that we had as um, within Akron DSA that we were talking about, I think it was a couple of days ago, we had a template that we found um, Actually, Colin, actually, I believe, found it, um, one of our uh, chairs. It's a template for a letter that you basically fill in and that you can take and, you know, just like if you're canvassing, stick it in, uh, you know, somebody's door or the handle of their door or whatever, um, not their mailbox, never stick it in their mailbox. Um, <laughs> but it's a template that basically says that, you know, hey, I'm your neighbor, I live, you know, here's my address, and, you know, we just wanted to start a conversation between everybody here in the neighborhood about what sort of resources people have and, you know, what sort of resources people need so that we can figure out ways that we can help each other. Right. Um, you know, where are, you know, if you're elderly, do you need me to go and get your groceries for you because you don't want to go to the store? Or if you have kids, but you, you know, the daycares are closed and you need somebody to watch your kids. Well, you know, I'm working from home or I'm, you know, whatever. I have a daycare that I run out of my house and, you know, whatever people are doing. But just, you know, starting almost even on that, that very micro level because it – that. <laughs> nobody's going to really know what anybody needs unless people start talking to each other. And we don't have always a good platform where everybody can come together. And like, I know some of the elderly people in my neighborhood are not going to be on the same type of platforms where I'm looking to find, you know, where I can give help and, you know, what resources are available. So I think even just kind of going to that very simple, like, I'm going to walk around and knock on your door and just say, hey, what can I help you with? You know, what 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 do you need is going to be really helpful and crossing some of those generational lines, but also um, making sure that we're not um, – we're, we're keeping it – so that it's like face to face and, and it, it cuz i think that seems to matter a lot more like if you're saying hey i live on the corner you know over here on our street i'm a nurse if you're not feeling great but you're not sure if you should go to the hospital or something you can call me and i can come over um and kind of creating that little micro environment i think is is going to be super helpful for people in addition to some of the bigger um, you know, aid resources that are trying to set up things within cities and communities across the country. Yeah, I, I would agree. That. I think that that micro level is, that's the real work right now is you have a lot of, you know, individuals and families that are losing hours or losing jobs entirely. They need childcare, they need food, they need help with, you know, prescriptions and healthcare and all these other things. And um, we hear and CJ, you might already be in this as a um, like a mutual aid slack that's multi-organizational, and it's all kinds of people from food banks to um, you know community farms and DSA and Food Not Bombs members are in it. Um, I think a, one of the Food Not Bombs comrades is trying to create a leaflet that includes not just Food Not Bombs serving times, but also other resources from that slack and forms that people can fill out to request or volunteer. Um, basically, canvassing your neighbors for mutual aid, and I think that's. Um, that's super important right now. I think that's that's where a lot of the very important work can go. Yeah, and and um, Sarah, I'm glad you put that in, into that type of context because DSA, I feel like it's fair to say, is kind of a young organization, uh, or at least the membership tends to lean kind of young. A lot of us may have never canvassed before, but I feel like the last election or two, we've definitely gotten um, our our feet wet. So you know, taking that experience and turning it toward just going and talking to your neighbors, uh, it's definitely something that I think can help. Um, in fact, um, I think after I get off the phone with y'all, I've still got a little bit of time uh, tonight to text a couple of folks and see if they need anything. So I'm, I'm glad we brought that up. 
it's amazing just talking to folks what kind of ideas you can come up with. Let's uh, talk about one more topic and then call it a night. Does that sound okay, y'all? Sure. All right. Fantastic. Um, so what are some things that uh, DSA should keep in mind uh, moving forward, both through this current pandemic and uh, in the future? And do you have any sort of final thoughts to share with us tonight? Um, I think that what is important to keep in mind is kind of something I keep reminding myself every day. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough time for a lot of people. We have the ability to make a choice right now. Are we going to make the choice to help each other through this? Or are we going to make the choice to um, engage in barbaric and selfish behavior? Um, and I think that because I actually recently just joined DSA officially, I had been hanging out with some of the members and talking about different things and attending some meetings, but I officially just recently joined. And the reason why I joined was I was thinking a lot about virtues and, and you know, ethical behaviors that I was raised with. And I think that, you know, DSA lines up with a lot of those things. And the work that DSA has been doing lines up with those things. Um, I was, when I was young, I was, I was in Girl Scouts. And so, you know, it was a simple message that we were all taught was that, you know, we're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to work together. We're supposed to care for one another. And, you know, you, if, if, you know, you have somebody who's hungry, you know, you don't, you, you build a bigger table. You know, you, you find ways to make sure that everybody is able to, you know, have their needs met. And I think that this is really the time that we have a great opportunity to show that we're willing to help and we're, we're here for other people and that, you know, it's better to help each other than to engage in barbarism and, and other terrible types of behaviors. But, um, you know, I would also say just the membership out there, you know, just don't get discouraged. There are going to be people that are going to do and say terrible things, but don't get discouraged. You know, we're, we're, we're fighting the good fight. Like we're doing the right thing by trying to help people and, and, you know, lending a hand and trying to make sure that we can all get through this together. So I guess that is kind of just my takeaway from this whole situation. Sarah, you got anything, any, any last words for us uh, before we, uh, before we wrap up for the evening? Um, I just hope this is really clarifying as to um, sort of what's important in life and in society, and um, hopefully it shows to people that, uh, you know, we're right, I guess, um, about a lot of this stuff, but also that, you know, most of the things that you think are really important, like the stock market, they don't actually affect how you live your life. It's your neighbors and uh, these material concerns that are in your community. Yeah. Well, guys, thanks again for talking to me tonight. I, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules and just trying to handle the pandemic in your own personal lives. I feel like we really had some good conversation tonight. Uh, hopefully, this will be a big help to somebody somewhere out there. Uh, hopefully, various DSA chapters across the country are having this, you know, similar discussions tonight, and we can continue to strengthen our bonds and. Uh, you know, win the world for the working class, regardless of what's happening out there. So uh, uh, thanks again. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Stand up, old victims of oppression, for the tyrants be your might. Don't cling so hard to your possession.
walls of hatred nor walls of stone. Come greed the dawn and stand beside us. We'll live together or we'll die alone. In our world, poisoned by exploitation, those who will take on Oh